Bonjour, film lovers. Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 720-6-NERDS-5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also, email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of your movie-going experience. I am Ryan. With me is Zach. Hello. And Brad. It's interesting you changed up the uh, slogan, because I was thinking just the other day about how without Denver Pop Culture Con, uh, it doesn't make sense anymore. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I think about these things. Like We've had had that for 10 years. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's an obscure reference now. (laughs) What are we anymore? We're just a podcast. We're just another podcast. (laughs) Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, it's Spiral from the game, uh, from the book of Saw. (laughs) Wait, all right, let me be the voice of the new Jigsaw. (laughs) It went from like really cool Tobin Bell to I don't know what. I, okay. (laughs) When we get into the review, we'll get into it. I have a theory as to why the voice is that way. Uh, the Siri, basically. It's uh, yeah. Like it doesn't. That. It do, my my theory doesn't excuse it. <laughs> we also talk about movie news, movies that are coming out that you can purchase, and stuff we have watched throughout the week. And also because it's summer, that means we're able to go around town. Well, I guess it's still technically spring, but the summer movie season is starting soon. Finally. And that means we go around town with Brad, and he's going to tell us all about what we can do. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. Uh, at the 88 drive-in, they still have the lineup of Missing Link, Wrath of Man, and The Unholy. And at the Holiday Twin, they're still doing the fly fishing film tour. And they have not picked their other screenings yet. So how, how is how is it that Pop Culture Con couldn't couldn't keep it? We can't keep that afloat. But the fly fishing tour can go on for two weeks. Uh, I mean, it, I don't even know if it's a second week because it just seems like they haven't updated anything. Okay, because if so. this is a two-week thing, I want to know how deep the pockets are of the fly fishing community in this country. <laughs> Probably and, uh, riverbed deep. Also... <laughs> <laughs> I also mentioned that the uh, Buck Theater in Denver is reopening soon. Yeah, and, that's right, in June. Uh, do you know what their first uh, thing they're going to launch with, Brad? Well, assuming there are still filmmakers locally that want to screen their films, EFP will be the first up. Ooh, me, 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 me. Um, yeah, so go to efpdenver.com and submit your film. Oh, I've got to submit things? Uh... Yeah, they don't come to you. <laughs> You're not that special. <laughs> That's true. 
you got to do the work and let it's people know Alex, that you exist. It's Alex and Eileen in suits and they go, will you please come with us? And they put a sack over my head. <laughs> <laughs> and they burn your films. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this seems so unnecessary, guys. <laughs> You're going away for crimes against humanity. All I did was make some movies. Those were the crimes. <laughs> You're Colorado's UA Bull. Ooh. Oh, now come <laughs> now. Hold on. Wait, 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 let's let's turn off the personality here. We all know I'm kind of stupid, but let's be honest. I'm not Huey Bull stupid. <laughs> no one's that stupid, Zach. Yeah, no the fact. That that, okay, because the fact that I heard nothing after that just gave me the ch- <laughs> the chills. <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just trying to remember. Like, has he done anything lately? I, I haven't heard no. from him in a while. Well, the last time we heard from him, he was ranting into his own like video camera or something. So I don't know what the fuck's going on with him. Oh yeah, he's torching his career. That's right. Yeah, which who whoever cared. (laughs) Yep, yep. That's what's going on around town. Sweet, cool. You know, usually I do movie news, but I'm gonna skip that and do Blu-ray releases this week because Brad and my hard work has finally paid off. DVD releases and Blu-rays. It has, Brad. Ryan, I'm happy to announce that the Snoopy collection is coming to Blu-ray. You How can dare get four you. Snoopy movies. Cutting <laughs> you down. You're done. <laughs> Penalty. Go ahead, boys. Revel in your glory. <laughs> uh, we, we did it. Sony has finally listened to us and is releasing Last Action Hero on Ultra HD with bonus features. I like to think uh, the people at Sony were sitting around the office uh, getting chastised by corporate saying like, how come you guys don't produce Blu-rays that sell? Um, <laughs> you need to scour the internet and find out what the kids really want. And they stumbled on our waste- page like, wow, what's this? The Real Nerds podcast? <laughs> That's exactly I, what happened. I haven't checked <laughs> in, on them, on, in on them in forever. I love the idea of they're like, why are you wasting plastic? <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, it's good. It's it's a wonderful thing to be happening to you guys. No, like I said, I, I read an article when they first announced it in January or whatever, and it was the most requested title from Sony's write-in. And you couldn't; it wasn't even one of the options. People actually had to write it in, and it had something like forty-five thousand write-ins. So um, now that they've done it, it's up to us to make sure we go out and buy it. So yeah, continue to do it about that. <laughs> Um, I'm worried because I pre-ordered it on Amazon and I don't have a notification that's coming yet. No, I got mine like an hour ago, but it's not coming till Thursday, so that sucks. But I've been noticing that uh, a lot from Amazon. I so the King Kong Screen Factory was supposed to come out last week, and I'm getting it tomorrow, and. All my Blu-rays I've pre-ordered lately have like a month uh, window of when they're gonna like show up. Remember when they used to do two so, I don't know. and things arrive yeah, early? Yeah, I have Amazon Prime, so I pre-order it and it I'm not getting my stuff. I don't know what is going on, and it's really starting to piss me off. They're making more money than they ever have, and it's only getting worse. Yep. Uh, Best Buy, they have two listings for the steelbook, and one is sold out and one is coming soon. I don't know how much sooner it could come. Uh, I so, think they, so there is a steel book and a regular 
edition that comes out in June. And the regular edition is the lame Blu-ray box art. Yeah. Get the steelbook or get the fuck out. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm hoping that at midnight it'll roll over and be available because the in-store copies will appear. Mm-hmm. But it, ugh, it, it makes me so nervous because I'm just worried that because I, w- I was so late to the Amazon listing that it might just get canceled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Amazon usually give them, like, I have supposedly Dead Man on Campus coming soon. So we'll see. It came out, what, like three weeks ago, and it's still, like, waiting to be shipped to me. Wow. So I don't know what's going on with Amazon. Everything on mine, it's says expected delivery. It'll say like, just for example, June 8th through July 14th. That is a huge so, window. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll get randomly charged. And remember, they used to not charge you until they ship. Now I get charged and they don't ship it for like a week. It's bullshit. But anyways, end of rant. I'm excited for uh, Last Action Hero. I've been already reading reviews of it. And I mean, the original Blu-ray is such garbage that I can't wait to see it in all its HDR glory. I was going to say, like, did they do a new scan of it? Because I totally they forgot did. the picture is terrible on the Blu-ray. They did. They did a whole new uh, 4K scan with uh, HDR 10. And uh, they put in a new uh, uh, audio to take advantage of it. Um, you can read all the technical specs and reviews of it. It's on blu-ray.com right now. Sweet. And, uh, blu-ray.com gave it like 4.5 out of five for the 4k. And the original blu-ray was like 2.5. So I've been reading recently, a lot of, uh, those older, less, uh, appreciated, appreciated movies. They're just putting the DVD versions on the Blu-ray, so it's like the same quality, but it's just it's mm. on a Blu-ray, which is bullshit. That is bullshit. If it's on a Blu-ray, at least it needs to be 720p. <laughs> yeah, I agree. At least. At least you listen to us, jerk offs. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> pick up Last Action Hero. Yeah. Do we want to know what else is coming out? <laughs> Yeah, there's also another great movie for me. It's like my week. Is it Animal House for you or is it Minari? Uh, or The Sting. <laughs> or The Sting. Okay, fine. Three different options. On 4K, you can get Animal House and The Sting in 4K. And Sting on regular. Is great. I love The Sting. Oh, The Sting is great. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know if it. Uh... It holds up. It do- I know it does. I just it, it, I think about it in the grand scheme of a, of winning best picture. I'm like, it's an interesting pick, but um, and then Minari is coming to Blu-ray, the wonderful oh, I have 2022. That I forget. Yeah. I have like I have like three or four movies coming this week, allegedly. Yeah, you could also allegedly be getting Raya: The Last Dragon in 4K, a movie we still have to see here on the show. Uh, and then, as I said before, the Snoopy collection. It's a four-movie collection consisting of A Boy Named Charlie Brown, Snoopy Come Home, which is the dark night of the Snoopy movies, because uh, it yeah. is the best. And then Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. And then Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back. Um, all in glorious HD. <laughs> hey, hey, Ryan. No dogs allowed. I was going to get oh, it, but it's really birds. expensive. I don't care. I it's want like 40 it. 40 bucks. That's pretty expensive. You get four movies. It's $10 a movie. Yeah, but 40 bucks is a lot. 
Paramount needs to make money, Ryan. They're not making anything of value to watch in the theater right now. <laughs> they need to make a Star Trek movie or something. I don't know. Um, and then this might interest uh, Brad, Drunken Master 2, coming to Warner Archive. Uh, do you have that coming, Brad? I didn't realize they made that movie yet. Drunken Master 2 with Jackie Chan. Oh, the inferior one. Okay. Oh, okay, Just fine. <laughs> Go ahead and... <laughs> Watch The Legend of Drunken Brewmaster on YouTube and Vimeo. <laughs> oh, no, oh, oh, okay. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to downplay your achievements. I'm just mentioning Jackie Chan's achievements. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Here's an achievement. There's a Howard the Duck 4K coming out eventually. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what? Will that ruin the movie? <laughs> no. I don't think anything can ruin that movie. Here, here's a follow-up question. Out of any 4K we could get, did you think Howard the Duck would be coming in our immediate future? I, I no. never thought that would be before 4K. But it gives <laughs> I didn't me think that would ever be on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, that's it fair. gives me hope that there might be a Super Mario Brothers or Suburban Commando 4K. Oh, I'm sure Shout or somebody will pick Suburban Commando up. Um, you can also get The Father uh, on Blu-ray, uh, the Academy Award-winning film uh, with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman. Uh, Criterion is putting out Flowers of Shanghai from 1998. Warner Archive also has two other ti- a couple other titles. They have Escape from Fort Bravo, uh, which has Eleanor Parker, Parker, John Forsythe, and William Holden. The Private Lives of Elizabeth of Essex, and Elizabeth and Exit, Essex with Betty Davis and Errol Flynn. Uh, and Ryan, you've got another grant on your way. Mr. Blanding built his dream home in uh, Blu-ray uh, form from Warner Archive. You see, Archive. I'm trying to build my dream home. You see, here's... Okay, so we... This show clearly started a campaign for something great in Last Action Hero on Blu-ray. And then looking at Mr. Blanding's Built a Dream Home, don't get me wrong, it's the superior movie, Ryan. We all admit this. But there is another house-building movie with a certain suave comedian that I think needs a Blu-ray release. And I don't think I'm out of order for asking for it. <laughs> You just got to have as much sway as I do because, I mean, I have Bringing Up Baby coming out later this year. Man. What, what, what do I have to do to get you on my campaign, Ryan? Like, what, what, what section of the city do you want? <laughs> <laughs> do you want money sacks with dollar signs on them or do you want a, yes. uh, a cool looking briefcase? <laughs> no, I want a Scrooge McDuck money vault. Okay, that, that's going to be difficult to acquire, but um, I've pulled off miracles before. I'll do it again. Um, yeah, no, but Mr. Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream Home is the superior building your house movie from Golden Age Hollywood, but I do like George Washington slept here as well. Uh, anywho, Wildcats from 1986 with Goldie Hawn. Um, anybody ever seen this? Yeah, it's kind of like the Bad News Bears, but with football. <laughs> okay, neat. Uh, you can also get Tom and Jerry the movie, uh, something that I still need to check out, but I got HBO Max for that. Uh, <laughs> And <laughs> I'd wait to stream um, it. <laughs> uh, and then Severin is putting out Grizzly from 1976. Um, and they are also putting out Day of the Animals, uh, which features a ferocious looking tiger and some men in hazmat suits and either a hawk or a condor of some kind. I'm not sure. I'm not a bird expert, guys. Um, and then there is a new uh, reissue of Mission Impossible, the first one, to celebrate the 25th anniversary. And Ryan, I'm not going to lie, I kind of like this cover. I already own it, so I'm not going to buy it. 
but I like this cover. Um, the only way you could get me to buy this is if you told me that Paramount actually fixed their fucking transfer of them because the ones that I have are garbage. Um, and then this is a title that popped up from Scorpion releasing. It's called Baxter. Um, it features a bull terrier on the cover. And the tagline is, beware of the dog that thinks. Uh, and, and, I, and, now, and I, I looked into this while you guys were uh, praising your last action hero-ness. Um, this is the plot. Baxter, a sociopathic bull terrier, stars in this chilling French horror film that blends thriller and black comedy into a truly original tale. The inner thoughts of the brooding Baxter reveal that he is quite unhappy with his situation, living in an elderly with an elderly woman who is afraid of him. In search of his ideal master, he successfully plots how to do away with her and attempts a similar plan when he becomes dissatisfied with his new owner. It's not long before the ingenious Baxter finds the perfect guardian, a lonely introverted boy whose macabre interest in Hitler's personal life helps turn the all-too-willing canine into a thoroughbred killing machine. What the flying fuck? <laughs> You ate a whole wheel of cheese. I, I'm not even yeah. mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> the the last line kills me. A lonely introverted boy whose macabre interest in Hitler's personal life helps turn the all too willing canine into a thoroughbred killing machine. Ryan, yes. wh- Ryan, is this movie allowed? <laughs> yeah. No, I really quickly. like that Hitler fellow, and I'm gonna <laughs> change teach my dog how to be a murderer. Him? I don't know. S- say what if a bull terrier was a, a, a literal monster what what if <laughs> that is that is fucking strange like i don't i don't even know how to respond to that dude that that's that's nuts i kind of want to see it that just sounds nuts um you can also get i believe the season one of star trek lower decks on blu-ray um great show and what great show Oh yeah, yeah. You you've praised it. I want to check it out. It's um, like the Harley Quinn of Star Trek animated shows. Sweet, I'm sold. Half hour episodes. <laughs> it's 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 a little less. Well, it's mostly less raunchy, but yeah, it's it's the same attitude. Right on. What'd you say? Yeah. Sorry, I was asking. Is it like a half hour or like or an hour or? Yeah, I think they're half hour. Yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. Quickly digestible. I think I watched the whole season in like four hours or something. Sweet. Um, and then Santa Sangri uh, from 1989 is coming to you from Severn as well. Um, looks pretty chilling. Uh, Santa Sangri? Santa Sangre. Sangre. Yeah. Uh, and then the Daydreamer uh, is coming to you uh, courtesy of Scorpion releasing. Uh, and last but not least, we have the Cohen Media Group is putting out a... Um, uh, a Linda Darnell movie called It Happened Tomorrow. Um, this also uh, features Dick Powell uh, and Jack Oakey. Uh, so yeah, you support Cohen Media as well because they um, they put out some interesting treasures that um, get overlooked every so often. So, um, And that's Blu-rays, unless I've missed anything important. They should do them a favor. a week of Blu-rays. Yeah, it's actually a pretty packed week. I'm like surprised. Guys, you can also get the five movie collection of Dragonheart. Just make sure you don't get the last one copy on the shelf. That didn't work. Anyway, that's Blu-rays. It's it's Blue weird Beavers. going for like a whole year of basically not buying Blu-rays to just being so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Keep up. 
Yeah. Next week's even more packed, Ryan. You got My Fair Lady coming out. Oh, yeah. Isn't that loverly? Yeah. Oh, not only that, A Night at the Roxbury as well. Guys. <laughs> and then it looks like another reissue of Psycho. Anyway, that's Blu-rays. Cool. Mm, movie news. It's real news. This is coming off the press today. Uh, we're going to be getting Attack of the Block 2. Uh, Joe Cornish is returning and John Boyega is returning as well. Um, a fun movie. It's been a while since I've seen Attack of the Block, so what, a better, what, what better time than not to uh, pick that film up again and revisit it. Um, and so, yeah, looks like they are... Uh, they're working on it at the moment, according to Cornish. John Boyega was round at my place a few weeks ago, and we sat in the garden, socially distanced, talking about story ideas until it was so dark we couldn't see each other. So, yeah, we're working on that. So, yeah, looks like Studio Canal Film 4, Complete Fiction Pictures, and Upper Room Productions have come together to make this a reality. So let's Very all cool. look forward to it, boys. Um, and then uh, in other sequel news, we will be getting Enola Holmes 2 uh, with Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill returning. Uh, I'm excited for that. I want to see where they take this series. Um, wasn't my favorite Sherlock Holmes adaptation, but I enjoyed it enough to want to keep going. Um, and let's see. There is some Tom Cruise news for you, Ryan. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Russia is trying to compete with the Tom Cruise space movie. No. This this is this is strange. This is strange. Um it looks like um that the movie uh is going by the working title Challenge and is described as a space drama. Um and uh it is uh the Russia's Russia's Roscosmos Space Agency is uh saying that the filming will take place at the International Space Station with an expedition scheduled for the 5th of October this year. Um, and then the actor who is Yulia Parislid, uh, Parisild, and the director, 37 year old Klim Shepenko, uh, will undergo training, centrifuge, including centrifuge tests and flights in zero gravity starting as early as June 1st. And then the pre flight training will be documented by Russia's main TV channel, Channel One. Um, and that they will also be in, um, involved in producing the film. So it's trying to, we're in this. Ryan, we're in the space race again. What the flying fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know Tom Cruise is going to win, so it's all good. You know, but 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 this recalls another another notable actor that's a that that many of us love on this show, which is Matthew McConaughey, just sitting around with beer cans, going, "Time is a flat circle." Blah 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 blah. blah. Like (laughs) we're back in the space race. (laughs) You know it. We, I don't, I don't know what's happening, guys. I think we're caught in a weird time vortex loop or whatever the fuck. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, go team cruise. Let's beat the Russians to space or something. I, I don't know how to deal with this anymore. Um, here's something that, um, baffles me even further, I guess not, not baffles so much as just, I was taken aback by it. So they're rebooting legends of the hidden temple for adults. And it'll be coming to you courtesy of the CW. Um, there are adults who watch the CW was my main question. Um, the CW is still a thing. Yeah, well, they've got that Riverdale thing, so they got to keep that going. And all the uh, DC TV, but sure, go ahead, take yeah. people down a peg. 
Yeah, uh, they will have the uh, Variety is reporting that it's a supersized and reimagined adult version. So participants are no longer kids, but nostalgia loving millennials. Oh, great. Wonderful. Uh, and then the new show will uh, take the classic show, will preserve many of the Nickelodeon series iconic elements. These include Olmec, the giant talking Mayan head, the moat crossings, the steps of knowledge and the temple run and all of the original team names like purple parrots, blue barracudas, orange iguanas and red jaguars, silver snakes and green monkeys. This time, the entire show is taken out of the safety of a studio setting and into a mysterious jungle with tougher challenges and bigger... It's Survivor. It's Survivor. But <laughs> the studio part was the fun part. Like, they built and constructed this wackadoo set for all these challenges. I don't... Uh, I don't... I don't get this, guys. I don't, I don't like this. I don't know why. It just... Why don't we just call it Survivor CW? <laughs> <laughs> You, you don't watch the CW, so I don't have to worry I, about it. That's true. I don't. I have no connection to regular TV anymore unless I go upstairs to turn on TCM for some reason. So um, got two more stories. There is a uh, novelization version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out um, uh, written by Mr. Tarantino himself. And it looks like that the audiobook will be performed by Jennifer Jason Lee, And you can pick that up through Audible. Uh, so, yeah that'll be a fun time and the last piece of news is actually a pretty big deal and ryan i'm assuming you already read this at some point as well that at&t is to spin off warner media um in a 43 billion dollar deal with discovery channel um so we've got another merger on our hands not too much um, not not too dis not too dissimilar quote unquote from um the Disney Fox merger. Um, the yeah, difference, uh, I think, yeah, I don't know what Warner Brothers is gaining out of this. <laughs> well, they're getting Discovery Plus, which is going to be available on HBO Max now. Mm-hmm. So that's the big thing. And then I was also reading that the um, their DC is going to be branching off, which is, I actually think, a good thing because they kind of mismanaged DC. Um, Time Warner did. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, the guy at the top, the the guy at the head of that, um, has stepped down. So, um, and Justice League was heavily featured in their presentation of like why they're successful. So, they may be coming around to listening to fans all the time. Yeah, or just you know, yeah, it's interesting because there's been a lot of news too about Zack Snyder. how Warner Brothers was the only thing to do with him. I think people forget that he actually lost them a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I'm not that surprised. Yeah. Um, Discovery uh, CEO David Z- Zaslav will run the combined businesses. Uh, and it looks like that the deal is expected to close sometime next year. And AT&T plans to shift its focus to mobile and broadband. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, like if you had like asked me a few years back about the Disney Fox merger, I would have gotten excited because of the Marvel possibilities. But now living in the world that we do where the Disney Fox thing is a huge kerfuffle where a lot of things were absolutely and irre- unconscionably dismantled. I don't like the idea of another big merger. I really don't. And there's also rumblings that Netflix is trying to buy Paramount, and I'm like, I don't, guys, you need to. They, this this doesn't this doesn't bode well for anybody. So, I think uh, 
before we came on uh is amazon bought mgm for nine billion so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this is um i mean mgm has always kind of been doing this they've been bought and bought and rebought by several different entities over the past 30 to 40 years because you know that that studio got ran into the ground by the mid to late 60s but i am i the the only thing that like the the good news in the the warner brothers decision uh from what i can see thus far is that in this merger, it, um, uh, they're not like acquiring another studio, quote unquote, that has library titles that they can just decide to withhold. This is like literally Discovery's assets consist of, among the other things, Animal Planet and um, Food Network. So I'm not, uh, I'm not worried from that regard. But like, also, this is the same company that also mismanaged and didn't allow Filmstruck to grow and now they just withhold titles whenever they want to. So like, I love Warner Archive. I love what they do, but there's still titles in their vault that they don't release. So, you know, like, I, I, I'm I'm curious to see how this affects other elements of their business down the line. Um, because if, especially if AT&T is trying to focus more on mobile and broadband, you know, there might, they, I don't know if those rumblings of the disc media being run out are going to be continued like like they're going to keep that that notion going or if that's still just a rumor that doesn't need any you know uh support behind it so and um, amazon owning mgm is scary because like what incentive do they have to do physical media at all no they they don't have any yeah. The, the close the the more the most that'll happen within that to my mind is that it they'll still pre you'll still be able to probably license titles but I'm sure Amazon's going to charge more for it because MGM does it because they need the money that's why they license all the time out to people like Screen Factory and um, and Criterion so yeah. if there's a MGM Criterion or Screen Factory that you want get it now because you may not have it within the next two years. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because it's like, that's the James Bond catalog, Rocky movies, RoboCop movies, which I yeah, think only... all those are in 4K. In some... No, RoboCop's not in 4K. No, but did, did Ar- Arrow's the one that got RoboCop, right? Yeah, but they did no. a Blu-ray. Right, okay. Um, I've, I've still got my Rocky Blu-rays, and I've still got my James Bond Blu-rays, so I'm set in that department. But... I, don't think, I don't think Rocky's in 4K either. No, it's not. But... Yeah. You know, I mean, and also like something to keep in mind with James Bond is that Sony technically has a stake in James Bond now at this point too, so they might. Yeah, but they they already released all those in 4K, so. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's it's troubling. I don't like the idea of another merger, and I certainly don't like hearing the Amazon MGM news either. So, um, but we'll see what happens. Um, it's funny because like I I made the decision to start going using my Disney plus now to go through all the Simpsons episodes I've missed over the last 10 years. Um, and I'm curious to see what the Disney era looks like. So, uh, but anyway, that's news. We watch films and stuff throughout the week. We call it what we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what did you watch this week? Almost nothing. Uh, the only thing I watched was the 
TV show version of 21 Jump Street <laughs> for the first time. And I had never watched it before. And the movies are actually not that far off from the show, surprisingly enough. <laughs> uh, obviously, the movies are way more comedic. But um, the, uh, the first movie is pretty much the plot of the pilot. Really? Um, yeah, a couple episodes. And it, uh, from the first season, actually, like little pieces of it made into the movie like the original police uh captain is uh jenko which is chang tatum's character um so i wonder if there's a a hidden backstory because uh that that captain like dies in the first five episodes (laughs) fifth episode i think um and uh yeah so i I'm, i'm trying to build a thread to that character to Shane Tatum's character because uh, it is like it's it's actually a linear continuation from the show that that the movies are um, and there's a surprising amount of like guests like a list guests like a uh, Josh Brolin's in one of the first episodes um, <laughs> as like a prep kid uh, like prep school kid is part of like a group of guys who rape and murder a girl. Um, and there's like weird storylines of uh, like uh, a kid and a couple of his buddies like take a whole school hostage. Uh, but it's like a bad episode because like there's no real strong motivation for why he does it. Uh, at one point, he's so misguided that he's like, I just want to, uh, you know, he's, he's making ransom demands. So he just demands like 20 pizzas. And so like the jump street team's constantly just like wondering like what does this guy really want? And it's never really ends up being like a good reason. Um, but he's treated like a like a Hans Gruber type, <laughs> which is just like, what is this episode? Uh the music is really weird in the show. Uh like the opening theme song has like a weird electronic pipe organ. And then it like after the the graffiti writing happens, it turns into a, like a poppy eighties song. And then throughout the rest of the sh- uh, show, I can't tell if it's like the music's been replaced because of rights issues or it was originally that way. Cause all the songs feel like it's almost this famous song. Um, so I looked it up and I couldn't find anyone else talking about it. Cause they would have done that for the DVD. Right. And so far I've only found uh, notes of just like an episode on season three that they replaced the song. So it might be the original stuff, but it just seems so out of place. Like a lot of times it's so loud and it's talking over, it's like blasting over, you know, dialogue heavy scene, which is weird. Um, Yeah. And then like uh, Johnny Depp's character, like just like Schmidt in the movies, like screws up half of his cases in the first, in his first outing. Um, You know, he has to work to like redeem himself. Um, Yeah. Peter DeLuise, I didn't, make the connection that he's like related to Dom DeLuise <laughs> until now, which is funny. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird like relic, I guess, of it, it, you know, it was, it was like the first, one of the first shows on Fox when it came to be a network and it was super big and I'm just like I don't know, it's, it's weird that there's like these really adult storylines for just kids in high school. Like the kids in the crimes are just treated like such adults oh there's um in the first episode when johnny depp is uh you know infiltrating the school like uh one of the girls has a crush on him 
and to get out of it he tells her that he has herpes <laughs> it's like it just felt like uh the movie a little bit like that like just like trying to just make up like such a far far into the spectrum like excuse you know yeah um <laughs> But yeah, it's always been like a weird thing about Jump Street, like when they're interesting, like they, like I was watching the movie too, and like when um, uh, Johnny Hills like has a crush on uh, Brie Larson, it's like that's it's such a weird storyline to have. Yeah. Uh, um. Yep. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Twenty One Jump Street. It's, it's a weird. Oh, and they also have like it's such like a dare show. Because like at the end of each episode, they'll have like a one hundred cocaine. Like the whole cast gets together and like does the the GI Joe. The more you know, but for drugs, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I I'm like watching it, but I'm not binge watching it. You know. Yeah, just watching it to watch it. <laughs> yeah, like I watch a couple episodes and then just kind of move on because there's like nothing really like great, compelling going on. Um, like it's super melodramatic. Like the kid in their first episode, uh, like they're having dinner, <laughs> and they're just kind of just talking about like their lives, and all of a sudden, just like these two guys with assault rifles like bust in through their uh, glass door and uh, start like knocking or like kicking him around like in front of his parents. Um, and that like that guy's basically the Dave Franco character in the movie. Um, like the middleman for those guys, but his his reactions to everything is just goes like zero to like a hundred. Um, yeah, really over the top when he freaks out. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. And I watched those movies, but I've talked about them a ton of ton before. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, um, I am kind of light this week. Um. Uh, I was able to get a uh, look at the Dr. X two-strip Technicolor restoration from my pals uh, Matt and Brian last night and uh, watched it on their little projector unit there. And um, I'd only seen the black and white version, and it looked fantastic. Um, For anybody who doesn't know what Dr. X is, there's murders happening by moonlight. And Lionel Atwill has to find out who the fuck done it. Uh, and it may involve cannibalism and it may involve smearing skin on yourself. You have to find out in Dr. X. Um, not to be confused with the return of Dr. X, which features the Humphrey Bogart as a vampire. Um, yeah, Ryan, if you don't have this Warner archive, you should pick it up. Uh, it is, uh, and it's, it's one I'm already, I, I, I had to wait before I could order it, but, um, it, it looks fantastic. There's a bunch of commentaries on it, and there's apparently some featurettes on the restoration uh, process for it. So if you Ooh. liked that for Curse of Frankenstein, you might like this. And it's UCLA and the George Lucas Family Film Foundation that uh, did the fix-up. So Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then I watched The Seventh Victim at Film Club, another Val Luton piece. Um, it's a film that clearly inspires most satanic worship or satanic cult movies that you see down the line for anywhere from Rosemary's baby on down. Um, I love Satan, <laughs> but do you love him enough to kill in his name, Ryan? <laughs> um, totally. 
Yeah, the seventh victims is it's still a it's still a wonderfully bleak film. I, it had been forever since I had seen it, and um, I uh, there is every time I watch a Luton movie within the last couple of months, I'm just I'm just ogling at the imagery at that point. Like, God, it's so beautiful. Um, it's um, I kind of like. I, I mean, like w- within my recent re- rewatches of it. I still put Body Snatcher up at the top, and but I put Isle of the Dead like a close second. But Seventh Victims like kind of gunning for Isle of the Dead in that regard. So Cat People's in a in a league of its own for me because it's like that first exposure point. But so yeah, um, Seventh Victim. If you've never seen it, please check it out. Um, I watched another movie um, uh, through the film club called The Silver Cord. Uh, which is a uh, Irene Dunn movie from the pre-code era. And uh, I'm listening. <laughs> uh, it's not readily available um, unless you're a, a part of the um, Patreon for Attaboy Clarence, but I'll try to explain this without spoiling anything. Um, a, uh, a, a, a scientist uh, uh, or a, an aspiring architect. I can't remember what their fuck the job is. Man takes his uh, new bride to meet his mother. His mother turns out to be this domineering, wicked, scheming lady uh, who sets off to sets out to not only break her son and her his new wife apart, but also her other son and his new bride apart. And it becomes this weird level of mother domineering that I didn't realize existed in the pre-code era. And Irene Dunn gives this stunning speech at the end of the movie. Um, so it's, it's, it's all I really want to say, because if you can find a way to watch the silver cord guys, uh, the movie is about an hour and 12 minutes and you are put through this weird psychological, emotional ringer uh, that, that, that clearly inspires further things thematically for Hitchcock amongst other filmmakers who go dare tread into this territory. Um, it, it's almost like I want to put them, put this movie and notorious side by side, Ryan, and see how they play against each other because mm. the mother character in notorious um, imagine that, but she gets more way more screen time. <laughs> mm. um, and also there's no Nazis involved because it's, before world war ii but um but yeah it, it's it's a fantastic film um I, I recommend it it's um it's not i mean there's there's a couple moments where it got a little bit tedious for me but it still holds my attention thematic like what i i need to know what's happening next there's a scene where a woman like runs away so far into the night that she falls in a block falls in a clearly rectangulized like cut hole of ice and just like nearly drowns to death like it's 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 insane um so yeah if you're looking for some pre-code madness you can't go wrong with the silver cord it is fantastic um and then i've been continuing to go through the simpsons again um i'm on season six um i think i'm probably going to go back and go to season one on through 10 with my dvds before i kick in the disney plus um, but, uh, I, I'm just still marveling at the writing quality of the show from season five into season six. Um, I think season, sorry, 
keep talking. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And uh, I was, um, I was, sorry, I was going to sneeze again. Of the, I think season four through season nine is some of the best television ever. It's um, do you, do you in know my opinion. Well, I, I'm, I would agree with you. And like, I don't think that I know that people have the contention that the, uh, see the, the, the two Skinners episode where everybody says it jumps the shark. Um, is a detriment is like the beginning of the end. I think at the beginning of the end comes just like at the cusp of season 10, because then the quality kind of to my recollection starts to dip, but it's been a while since I've been back to those post season nine episodes. So that's kind of why I want to do this rewatch. Um, you know, they're still fun. I, I've always said, I, I'll take a average episode of the Simpsons over most other TV yeah um most simpsons still have some redeeming qualities and some like really great jokes mm-hmm. uh, even the later ones um i still have fun with them right and that and, and it and i i'm a I, i'm i'm kind of committed to it to the point where it's just like i've always said i will watch the seasons i haven't watched yet eventually and it looks like now's the time for me to do it but the amount of episodes that you get like actually i i'm i'm still a john Schwartzwelder fan through and through from a writing standpoint um not necessarily for whatever <laughs> crazy things he believes but um uh uh but the bill oakley josh weinstein written episodes and during their time as showrunners uh they they've written some fantastic episodes like i'm starting to recognize their writing style a little bit better um and uh jennifer crittenden joins in around this time and she wrote one of like i would probably put it in my top 20 episodes of all time which is uh and maggie makes three which has uh the do it for her sign at the end of the episode um and uh uh, i I mean like like just today i was rewatching homer the great um with (laughs) the stone cutters and that's still a solid episode Mm -hmm. um and i put in disc three before we started recording guys I looked at all the names on it and I know most of these names, like know most of these plots by heart. I think disc three somehow has like the, like the best like lineup of like episodes I would watch in a marathon back to back. Like some discs have like one or two that I'm not so hot on that disc three of season six, like every episode is a winner. <laughs> um, and, um, and that actually compelled me to go back to rewatch the Simpsons movie. Um, Cause I was listening to, started getting hooked on this show that discusses the Simpsons pretty in depth and they're not fans of the movie. And I listened to them on uh, discussing the movie and its problems. And I understand where they're coming from. Um, and I respect their intuitive look on the, on the piece. I can't hate the movie though. Um, because I think it came at a point in my life where I was such a like i was high on the simpsons i loved re-going through those dvds i would watch every week with my family so the movie was like an event and re-watching the film uh while seeing what they were talking about i still enjoyed the hell out of that movie it's a solid like slick 80 86 minutes of a, 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 it could be considered an elongated version of the show but the, this particular story has scale it gives some form of introduction to somebody who's never watched the simpsons before which is both a blessing and a curse for the movie because it ideally should just be catering to fans and not caring about some guy out in the middle of nowhere who's never heard of the simpsons but um uh but i i i still dug the humor i like the bart story in it i wish that bart was more involved in it somehow 
apart from the father son element of it um because it seems like the, the movie's really a the, the movie's a homer movie a homer and marge movie first and foremost and um i uh so there's like some balance issues but i still enjoyed it russ cargill and albert brooks's portrayal of him is still one of my favorite simpsons things of all time he still has the line of when they escape the dome and he goes like, I want you, I want to get 10,000 tough guys and I want to get 10,000 soft guys to make the so- tough guys look tougher. And this is how I want to arrange tough, tough, soft, tough, tough, soft, tough, 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 sir. I think you've gone mad with power. Of course I have. Haven't you gone bo- mad without power? It's boring. No one listens to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, there's a great, uh, I like subtle Simpson gags a lot. Um, and one of them, where Lisa's knocking on doors uh, to um, uh, have them sign the petition to not dump in the lake. And uh, they keep refusing her and she gets to the last house and it goes, um, uh, the person who opens up the door and goes, why is the little girl who saved my cat Lake Springfield? And she just slams the door. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And of course, like when she's doing the, I don't think that I don't know if this joke ages well, but I still because I remember what it was referencing. I love it when she's doing the ink, the irritating truth at the town hall and the scissor lift is broken and uh, it smashes her up into the ceiling. And she goes, am I getting through to anybody? And I can't remember who it is, but someone goes like, hell yeah. Or it's crusty. He goes, hell yeah. We need a new one of those things. (laughs) And Mayor Quimby just goes all in favor of a new scissor lift. Say I, (laughs) Um, so yeah, this has been a fun rewatch. Um, and it makes me, and a lot of the rewatch makes me re- appreciate Harry Shearer's role on the show. If I have one big complaint about the Simpsons movie and what I would have wanted is that it should have been Mr. Burns as the villain of the movie. Like it shouldn't have been Russ Cargill, but I will take Russ Cargill. Um, so yeah, and that's all I watched this week. Uh, I rewatched uh, Merrily We Go to Hell. Uh, was released on Criterion. Um, I, the first time I watched it was on YouTube with really not good audio and or video. And it is Cary Grant's third film. He's in it for five minutes, maybe. Um, but it's really a story of uh, an alcoholic and how toxic he is to the relationships that he has in his life. And, um, yeah, I thought that was called the way back. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the, um, but it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating because one, it's directed by a woman named Dorothy, um, Asner and, and she, um, is a really, she was the only golden age Hollywood director who was a female. And she also invented the boom mic Mm -hmm. and, uh, she is, she, there's a really great documentary um, and video essay about her on the disc. And they talk about um, how she got her start as an editor and a script writer, and she didn't know how to type. But the other ladies in her script typing thing, uh, class or whatever the writer's you call pool, it. Or the writer, writer's pool. Yeah, um, would help her type because they knew she wanted to do uh, directing. And mm-hmm. so they uh, helped her with that, which is really cool. Uh, the movie is uh, really uh, Frederick March's movies. He made this movie right after he won the Academy Award for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really good in it. And they have, uh, 
he cheats on his wife constantly and then she finally has enough and uh carrie grant's character is small but that's who his wife cheats on him with is carrie grant um you, but he's are you uh, saying that he's the guy that she goes merrily to hell with uh no because they like, commit uh, a sin <laughs> no it's the toast that um that frederick march's character gives uh, and he's he's drunk pretty much throughout the whole film and it's it's kind of sad how he treats his wife and how she's uh you know in love with him and of course it has the golden age hollywood wrap this up really quick we're at 78 minutes guys <laughs> and uh <laughs> um it has a really uh what's the right word i'm looking for uh they wrap it up really quick with a bow and convenient um, and it's like another there's another cary grant movie where he's kind of a scoundrel in it where he has a wife and he ends up like uh having an affair with another woman and then at the end of the movie i can't believe i can't remember the movie with cary grant but it'll come to me eventually but the wife is like you know what go be with your mistress (laughs) and you go wait what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like we have to end this movie quickly um so yeah it's uh it's it's cool that it got its proper due i did give it another half star because i understood the dialogue a little more and it was easier to watch um still not one of my favorite Cary grant films but it's a interesting pre-code film nonetheless it i'm gonna uh, i'm now i'm definitely so when you come for film explosion you're getting that dr jekyll and mr hyde in your hands to watch because if you think if you think you've seen frederick march act like a dick just do you haven't you haven't seen anything yet (laughs) sweet i'm down he he is um like not just a not just a you know a horror monster ryan he's just a human monster in that movie and it's fucking yes it's astounding um Um, and i read a article on variety about mission impossible's 25th anniversary we mentioned at the top of the show that there's a new Blu-ray coming out. Um, so I uh, popped in my, uh, I started watching all the 4Ks of Mission Impossibles. Uh, mm-hmm. I've made it through the first four. Um, I can't say that the first Mission Impossible looks a lot better on um, 4K. Um, still not the best 4K I've seen, but it's a huge improvement. Um, the first one is directed by Brian De Palma. Um, it's kind of a twisty spy thriller, um, and which makes uh, which is it's a really fun movie, and it's it's really cool. Um, what I love about Tom Cruise's career is, I mean, that movie is twenty five years old now, and it still holds up really well. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I think Top Gun is thirty five years old this week. Just Tom Cruise constantly delivering like great films and always upping his game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I appreciated that first movie a lot more while doing Hitch, the Hitchcock series because it's De Palma yeah. basically doing oh, yeah. North by Northwest kind of a thing, but just with yeah. Ethan. <laughs> yeah, not quite as cheeky as North by Northwest, but no, <laughs> the, the thriller part is definitely influenced by... And De Palma's a great director. Like, his... Uh, some of his shots that he makes soft and um, mm-hmm. like uh, tight are just really, really cool looking things. And, and and I think that scene on the train, the climax on the train still holds up pretty well. Oh yeah. No, that's a great film. Yeah. Uh, the second one, it's so bizarre because it's like, you're watching a different um, franchise. 
Um, I mean, I don't have a problem with John Woo films. It's just, it seems really out of place. Um, and every time I watch it, I keep thinking about uh, the, the, my favorite Easter egg on any Blu-ray DVD of all time is on Mission Impossible 2's DVD, where they have the Ben Stiller uh, MTV Movie Award, where he's Tom Cruise's stunt double. Mm-hmm. And his name is Tom Cruise, but it's spelled C-R-O-O-Z-E. <laughs> and, uh, and every time I watch it, I can't get out because uh, Cruise is really um, like crazy throughout it going like uh, kicking and doves and a whole bunch of other shit. And, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise are talking to uh, John Woo and Ben Stiller's Tom Cruise says, you know what? Let's just, let's just call it kick it impossible. <laughs> and, um, I always think that every time Tom Cruise like does a flip kick in the film, <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, yeah, I just love that too. Cause John is in that special feature and he says, yeah, the real Tom Cruise does most of his own stunts, but we make good use of the other Tom Cruise. <laughs> and so uh, the real Tom Cruise is in the scene and he's about to get punched. And John Woo goes, cut, bring in the other guy. And then they show Ben Stiller's Tom Cruise just getting punched and punched and punched. And uh, John Woo's sitting behind the monitor going harder, harder. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's my favorite like Easter egg of all time. Um, so, yeah, so that movie's fun. Um, it's really silly. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just really silly. Mission Impossible 3, I think, has one of the greatest openings to any film ever. Um, where it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Michelle Monaghan, and Tom Cruise, and J.J. Abrams does this like incredible, like tight shots on all the actors, where uh, you don't know why Tom Cruise is so upset, um, and uh, it's just an incredible uh, opening to a film. Uh, it's one of my most favorite openings to any film ever. Um, and, and, and the movie really reestablishes the Mission Impossible kind of uh, theme. Um, it got rid of a lot of the fantastical stuff from Mission Impossible 2. And it's just a really great movie. I love Mission Impossible 3. How many um, years was it in between 2 and 3? I think, I think 6. Yikes. <laughs> well, they actually, I, I went back and looked really just recently. They've kind of had because three is six i think ghost protocol which i watched next is 11 yeah it took a while so um they kind of took breaks and yeah mission possible three is great um it introduces uh simon pegg's benji and um he's a great asset to the team and then uh this afternoon i watched ghost protocol and that movie's still fucking awesome oh Um, god i love ghost protocol it's uh there's some like scenes in it and how it's shot like brad bird directs the hell out of the movie mm. tom cruise is great in it i fucking love tom cruise I'll, I'll watch him in anything um but it's really fun so i'm gonna watch the other two uh i've been having a lot of fun going through and watching the mission impossible movies um and the last thing i watched is there is a new sony animated film on netflix called the mitchells versus the machines Ooh. And this film is amazing. Um, it's interesting. I, I think because Henry saw it and I put my review on Letterboxd and he was didn't seem that impressed with it. But I thought yeah, it he was, gave it like a two or something. Yeah, I gave it five. I thought it was funny. Um, it It's beautifully animated. I love Sony takes a, ever since Spider-Man. They've been taking a lot of chances with their animation. 
Um, and in it, it's uh, this girl is on her way to uh, film school and her dad doesn't understand her. And so they're trying to reconnect. So the dad um, cancels her ticket to go to college and they go on a cross country like uh, drive. And while they're doing that, uh, this company that's like Apple basically makes the new smartphone, which is a robot. And when the uh, Steve Jobs kind of guy throws his smartphone away saying, I don't need it anymore. The smartphone turns on him and turns all the robots against people. And uh, so then it becomes like this sci-fi action film. Um, it's a really cool, like the soundtrack's cool. It's by the guy who did Thor Ragnarok. Um, so it has a really cool, like techno. Um, oh, Mark 80s, yeah. Like eighties, like synth score to it. Um, and the animation's cool and it's really silly. I mean, it's, um, they'll do it's 3d, but they have a unique style to it. And then they'll go to like 2d flourishes throughout it. Um, it's a really fun movie. And I was actually, I think Henry and I just have different ideas of what like good kid films are, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you should check it out. It's streaming on Netflix and I, I'm, I think it was supposed to come out in theaters, um, last year and then Netflix acquired it. Um, which is, I would love to see this movie in 4K because it just looks cool. Um, it, it's it's a really fun movie. I recommend everybody checking out Mitchell versus the Machines. And that's what I watched this week. Um, this week on Real Nerds, we went back into the world of Jigsaw and Saw. Brad, would you recommend Spiral to people? Uh barely went back to jigsaw uh <laughs> not i wouldn't recommend it if you're looking to recapture the glory of the saw movies if there is such a thing um yeah like when this is announced uh, i assume that when you say something is surprising is like yeah we're gonna make a saw movie and it's gonna have chris rock and samuel jackson in it uh i, I assume there was some amazing angle to that idea beyond it has Chris Rock and Sam Jackson in it. And pretty much that was the angle of this movie is we have a lackluster saw movie starring Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. Um, uh, shoot. What was I going to say just my brain just totally stopped. Yeah. Like uh, the, the, the traps are way more mediocre than anything um, in the past movies. Um, and the, I guess twist at the end was just so just not impressive to me. Um, oh, uh, can I stop you right there, Brad? Um, I just want to let our listening audience know that I got an update. Dead men on campus will be at my house tomorrow. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, whew. I can call off the search. All right, goodbye, boys. Go home. Go home. It's over. I'm glad we found that Amazon truck. It was really touch and go for a second there. <laughs> it was. Good job, Detective Ro- Detective Frost. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. Uh, always serving your community. You're a good man. It's really hard when I can't trust anybody in the department. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. It, it was also yeah, for like half the movie. I thought like, oh, okay. So uh, Chris Rock's in here to try out his uh, next stand-up material, and then that <laughs> that disappears. And goes elsewhere. Yeah, I was just I was just not into it. Zach, would you recommend Spiral 
Yes, I would. Um, I am not. Um, I, I, there are, I have issues with the film, but I really, really, I was very impressed by something they decided to do, which I do think is the angle that's not Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. There is an angle to this film that I, I felt basically took an element from the series up to this point and decided to make it the theme of the movie. And I was impressed by the way they handled it. Um, there are some traps that I'm not a fan of, but there are ones that I am a huge fan of um, in the regards of a Saw film. <clears throat> but as with any Saw film, I think the issue will ultimately lie that if you are not into these films, you're not you're not going to get on board, um, whether you're a casual moviegoer or an idiot reviewer for the New York Post. Either way, you you need to know what you're going into. And if you are already a fan of the franchise but had doubts, I suggest that you give this give this an open minded shot because I I've never seen Chris Rock this this on point um, in a movie in years. Uh, I love Sam Jackson in the film, and I do think that Bowsman actually did something wonderful with scaling back on how much of the gore he shot shows compared to other Saw films. And in a sense, it kind of felt refreshing to watch him pull back. Um, and lovingly, this movie does not look like a sleek, like beautiful looking movie. It's back to the grit and the grime, unlike the Jigsaw movie we got two or three years ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I do recommend people check it out. But with the caveat that I have some issues and we'll get into it after the uh, trailer. Uh, I, I'm a little indifferent in it, and it. I, I think it's fun to go back to this universe for some reason. Like, uh, <laughs> I always love the, uh, you know, the games they play, and um, it's fun. But uh, I'll spoil a little more when we play the trailer. I mean, I had fun with it, but I also um, sometimes my profession gets in the way, <laughs> and there's some things about this that I just really had a problem with. Um, but I will say that when I saw the trailer, I was concerned about Chris Rock in this film because the trailer was cut really, um, janky, but, uh, seeing him in it, he was really intense and he was really good. Um, so, uh, that was alleviated. I mean, if you like saw, I'd see it. It's better than saw five. Um, <laughs> here's, uh, a here's, high bar to reach. <laughs> here's the uh, trailer for spiral. Package just came in. Get everybody out of here. Play me. Hello, Detective Banks. Do you know where your officers are? Jigsaw? Wait, I thought the Jigsaw killer was dead. He is. Find him. They are hours, not days. How can I catch this guy? If there's nobody on the bus, I can bust! You can't do this alone. Whoever did this has another motive. Something personal. 
When was the last time you saw your father? Jigsaw copycat. This is gonna go sideways fast. I'm a nuts man like a spiral. All available units, officer down. That was just a diversion to get us out of the precinct. I need everyone on this case. He could be anywhere. He could be anyone. We're gonna tear this city apart. I'm a nuts man like a spiral. Hello, Detective Banks. When was the last time you saw your father? Uh, Spiral stars um, Chris Rock as Detective Zeke, and he is uh, not liked in the department because he turned in uh, his partner who decided he was going to shoot a witness because a, a cop threw a dude off the roof. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so it that was... made everybody not like him, which, uh, sure. Yeah. There was a and... program initiated at some point where cops had carte blanche to like do things their way, I guess. Yeah. Which is, mm. so there is a, <laughs> there's always a thing in, um, the way called the constitution. You just really can't do that stuff. Um, but whatever. I, I let it slide. It's a it's a movie. It's fake. Um, Sam Jackson is Zeke's dad, and he used to be the captain or the chief of police. And uh, he has a lot to live up to, so no one likes Sam Jackson. He's given a new partner when these jigsaw style murders start happening against corrupt police officers. Mm-hmm. Which um, so this is directed by a Saw movie veteran director. And at one point, the cops say, uh, John Kramer never targeted cops. But I'm like, I'm pretty that sure was the, he that did was, many times. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so here, so that's a, that's a line I have issue with because what something that I took away from this film that I appreciated was that the Saw franchise up to this point had primarily consisted of, amongst other things, you know, you, the, the, the jigsaw victims were people with troubled lives, whether they be within drugs, relationships, or cops. And cops were a huge theme from two onward, um, and to the point where Hoffman was our lead POV character for the majority of the franchise from four onward. So Wasn't Wahlberg a cop in it? Yeah, Donnie yeah. Wahlberg was the cop in two, <laughs> three, and four, and they got rid of Wahlberg in four with the uh, ice blocks to the head. Yeah, that's like, right. I don't want to play anymore. And um, and and I, I so like I liked the idea of them going like, look, let's just take the theme of corrupt cops from those from the series that we've been doing up to this point anyway, and just make it the theme of the movie. And in that sense, I really appreciated it. Um, but there yeah, are that's. But there are lines in the film that that suggest that these guys have never even heard of the jig. 
big summoners. I don't like they, they they only know the name John Kramer and they have tangential knowledge of what the crimes were. <laughs> also, Jigsaw's replacement was a corrupt cop who eventually John Kramer targeted. Yeah. yeah. Um and, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead, Ryan. There's just uh so I, I don't have a problem with um corrupt cop um stories. It's just they should have done like research about like uh what makes police corrupt um so the and and also too you know uh jigsaw always made the puzzles winnable or the traps these didn't seem like they could win especially the dude who got his fingers ripped off i thought if he got his fingers ripped off he wouldn't die okay i I have an explanation for that ryan (laughs) because my i took my sister to see this which my sister's three months pregnant and she just wanted to go to eat popcorn and watch something from her favorite series oh that baby's Um, ruined yeah, <laughs> but Mattis was still in her when she went to go see Get Out. So both oh the kids God. have horror pedigree in mm-hmm. them from the get go. I think Mattis might be woke before MJ is. I don't know. Anywho, the um uh the the whole the whole element of Saw from Saw One was that they were supposed to be able to escape those traps, and they easily have ways to escape them. And from two onward, they basically turn into revenge movies. They don't become like, like you virtually all those traps are unwinnable at a certain point because they become revenge movies, whether it's through Amanda or through Hoffman. And this falls in that same category. The one, one of the biggest flaws this movie has for me is, is that it's just another revenge movie. So it's in essence, it's not really from like, it's it like the, 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 can we, we're past the point where I can tell the spoiler, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Charlie, played by Max Minghella, who is Chris Rock's partner, Zeke's partner throughout the movie, um, is revealed to be the killer. And this is vengeance because he was the little boy of the witness who was shot. And flat out, he he turns John Kramer's message into another revenge plot, which has been done before, whether through by Amanda or by Hoffman. Although in Hoffman's case, he's using it to cover up his his participation with Jigsaw. Um, and get off scot-free and so like that's one element where i'm like you know i don't i don't know if at this point we're even connected to the first movie anymore and we're literally going off of the series and if that's the case that's totally cool but when he's referencing john kramer's uh ideas and values which you know obviously are the like warped and twisted mind of a person who himself was seeking vengeance after his wife's after his baby was killed by a drug by a junkie did i so did did i miss a a part in the old movies where john kramer talked about spirals no it's just the spirals on billy's face i think yeah the thing no you didn't miss anything but like you didn't didn't miss anything yeah because well i just mentioned it because uh charlie brings it up like like the spiral was this important teaching of john kramer so i'm like it feels like you made that up for this this scene. Like I have I have a theory that he's interpreting Kramer's message through his own lens. And yes. And it's and that, like a, a dumb message. Like well, in, like, the, in, in there's an essence of this where like this is about a person who's inspired by Jigsaw, which every time we've tried to deviate from Jigsaw, we always somehow find a way to come back to him. This is Thankfully, the movie that decides we don't need John Kramer in the movie to make a song movie. And in that respect, I appreciate it. But the, the, there's the, there is something about being hella. I, I appreciate this, the twist, but with the caveat that like, OK, so this is a revenge movie. This is not a song movie. 
uh, it's a Saw series movie, but it's not like trying to lift off of the first one, which which in itself kind of disappoints me. Um, I, I guess so, that, but I'm just making a point of like his explanation of like why spirals. I'm just like that that analogy doesn't make sense for spirals to me. I, well. I, again, I don't have the answer there. There's supposed to be another one at this point. Lynn Bowsman's already talked about how he wants to expand this further. So I'll be curious to see where they go with it because this is right now, this is not Saw 9. This is not Saw 9. Saw 9 will be next. So it's funny because if you read the credits, the production company is called Saw 9. Really? <laughs> yeah, like whatever <laughs> company name they put under themselves to make it. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know what their I don't know what their whole outline plan is. I know he says there's they're working to make this like an MCU type of thing, and I'm like, okay, well that we've seen where that goes. But anyway, um, uh, but there are traps in there. Where I mean, like feasibly, the train guy could have gotten away. He just needed to rip his tongue out. But I mean, I don't know. It's not the but same. What about thing the to lady the who has to sever her spinal cord? <laughs> like wait what yo god I, yeah that one i didn't fully get and my but my sister was scared shitless by that trap <laughs> and how did nobody notice that was going on in the basement of the police headquarters like because yeah, nobody no. goes down to cold case files nobody cares about old cases i don't i don't know that that was no, that was a little weird to me <laughs> no like, it, and why is there a hot wax, wax machine in the, in the police basement <laughs> yeah. you know why um, it was there to give me a house of wax homage that i did appreciate <laughs> did you notice uh like the the industrial safe door uh, was like, it was labeled like uh, Jules and Jules, which is like Pulp Fiction style. And Chris Rock's character is named Ezekiel. As we find out when uh, Samuel Jackson yells out his full name, when he finds him at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Well, I think anyone Uh, named Zeke, that's what it's from. Yeah. yeah. But (laughs) but it's also supposed to be Ezekiel 25, 17, the wrath of the, the path of the righteous man, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, but, <laughs> I, no, I, I don't just, know. Yeah. Sorry. You know, there's, um, again, like, I don't mind cor- corrupt police stories, but you can't continuously lie on the stand and still be a police officer because, um, the district attorneys will give you a thing that's called a Brady letter where you're not, a, it, it ruins your career. And two, like the the one detective where he he's like he's walking up on the traffic stop so there's dash cam footage of him walking up with a dude with his hands outside his car he just walks up and shoots him yeah like, like what the fuck like you don't even try to hide like it, it's it it just bothered me that they didn't even try to hide the fact that this is the most outlandish freaking um corrupt cops ever and um and what was that and ice he, thing at the beginning like yeah Chris he Rice. was under he was undercover yeah but you also can't do stuff like that without people's permission like it it just drove me crazy like usually i don't care about you know like because i love lethal weapon but mm-hmm. <laughs> something about this is it was just so dumb with how it dealt with the police part of it that it took me out of it sometimes um but like i said i did like chris rock in it a lot um yeah and uh like it was still fun um i I thought the new like uh like pig puppet looked cool um i i i don't particularly like the pig puppet (laughs) that's fine but i I, you know i 
the, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but I, you know, I just had a problem too because you know Zeke is supposed to be this huge. If he's in a such a corrupt police department, but he's this moral compass in it, and then, um, you know, the the one dude's like, "Uh, you have to join me." He says, "Okay." Like, wait, what? Did he? Yeah, he's like, "Okay, I'll join you," and he says, "You have one last test." If I was him, I would have shot that dude. Oh, I <laughs> and- thought he was tricking him. Well, that's, that, I think he was trying to trick him. He and was, that, but, but like, that yeah. dude's so stupid where he says, no, okay, sure, yeah. But yeah, in general, the premise of, like, him ever convincing, like, yeah, I kidnapped your dad, and that'll convince you to uh, join me, like. <laughs> your your dad's corrupt? <laughs> I would have shot that dude. I don't he, see, he seems to have a similar dilemma of sorts, or, like, an extension off of Larique Bennett's character in 4, where he's trying to save everybody, and... I, I mean, like Sam, like his, his dad tells him flat out, shoot this piece of shit. And yeah, he should have. And, and I, you know, like I, I'm curious if they make Max Minghella the villain of this side, side series going forward, I'd be curious to see how they expand with his character because the, the biggest complaint I have with the twist is that even though he has this, this motivator for his plot, there is this element of like, it doesn't feel as fulfilled as Kramer's did in the first film where that twist for however improbable it might've seemed, it, it felt grounded enough to get you because they, they took the Lee Wannell took the time to lay out a, a richer story in regards to setting up this character in this world. And in this one, you know, like I think they're trying to juggle a couple of balls in the air, and I don't think they hit everyone correct. Um, yeah, that's what's really frustrating. Is like you, find, you like you bring back this franchise, and you your villain is just another Hoffman, really. Um, yeah, sim. Yeah, and, and, and like, and again, like I don't know what they have going forward. Maybe some things will like make you appreciate this particular film better. I will say, I really did enjoy it, but I have. I have two major complaints on an aesthetic front. One is I don't like the pig puppet only because to my mind, I just think you should have just gotten rid of the puppet element entirely and not, and just dealt with the pig mask. The pig mask would have been enough. Um, But I do like the cross imagery where the pig of, of the pig puppet pulling the gun up earlier in the film. And then later it's this, it's the scariest thing in the movie that I see like from like a visual like shot standpoint is Samuel Jackson's character being turned into a puppet at the very end for that, for the, for the big saw climax. Like it's, it's just creepy looking to look at. Um, And then the other one is the voice. We've got to talk about this voice. This is, this is, um, I know what they're trying to do and I don't really like it. Um, They, they're, they're going for this like an anonymous internet, like, like creepy voice that does like it honestly i don't know ryan if you felt this or brad if you felt this but it sounded like max speak on the computer (laughs) yeah no i know i I think john kramer's voice was way more effective Mm -hmm. because it had you know feeling to it and soul or whatever you want to call it Um, and and did i didn't read the credits but did it say max Minghella plays the voice of the like i mean i did they do that whole thing no because he has like he had a distinct and kind of like uh, radio guy voice. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was a woman's voice. I don't know if they're trying to play a red herring. I don't know. I never thought that it was anybody but 
the other detective guy. Yeah, that 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 is one thing is like you you I mean they 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 show their hand pretty quick with the the skin uh the skin of the guy um wrapped around um uh, and so like I yeah the this vo- the, the whole yeah. element of this voice to me like I get what they're trying to do but I don't think it worked completely. <laughs> and you know something's definitely off like as soon as he has that scene like outside the ca- their car he's talking to him he's like he's like I'm glad to be your partner, I think he says, and then like a scene later, he's one of the victims. You're like, what happened to the time jump here? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Um. um uh, I got a question. Favorite favorite trap for everybody. If you have a favorite one to pick. Of the whole franchise? Oh no, no, no! Of this particular film, I'm not asking. We're we're not doing a film explosion. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they're that memorable in this movie. So yeah, agreed. Um. I will um I will tell you my least favorite one is the glass blowing bit. <laughs> uh that that felt- Oh yeah, that one was kind of cool. At least it was unique. I've been playing Mortal Kombat 11 it reminded me of uh, beating Chronica. <laughs> my- oh yeah. That'd have been sweet if like one went through his head and split his head. Totally. <laughs> um that one was my least favorite only because I I felt like I was seeing a little too much CG stuck in there but I didn't like bother me completely, I guess. I didn't notice that. Uh, but I was just like like it just seemed like such an easily uh like chris rock could have got him out of there way easier but he just does that typical stumble around thing of like i don't know how to like pick a lock and you know oh god there's clearly like stuff that you can like you know he he creates a shield for his head but then takes a ton of glass to his chest but uh his buddy all like dies from it i don't know just well because he hit enough to not let too much of it hit him but the um uh, I, the this one move that I really like that the movie does is they chain him to the pipe. You obviously have the saw in your hand. You're going to do it. And he does the one thing that in the first movie, they didn't bother to look around and notice that the keys have been there the whole time and he, or, or something to get them out of it. And he picks it up and he's resourceful and gets himself out of the handcuffs. I'm like, that's fucking cool. Like, that's a callback to the element of none of the victims looking around them to realize that some of the answers are there in front of them. Um, and uh, and also, as I said, Samuel Jackson as the puppet, like, creep me the hell out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see where this goes, if they can continue this. And this is like now the sixth Saw movie in a row to be number one at the box office. I'll be through intriguing circumstances given the pandemic, but... <laughs> Um, I, I'm totally on board for more. Um, and, uh, uh, also guys, we got a themed rap at the end of the movie. Isn't that fucking cool? Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> no, it wasn't. This is, yeah, it wasn't. He, he was talking about like, what was it? Uh, you spiral like a pussy. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is better That's than stupid. I, I prefer this over venom, venom, venom. <laughs> they should have just played. I think the saw theme music is so iconic. I was bad that at the end. Right, you know the dun 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 Yep, but yeah, hello Zep by Charlie Clouser. Yeah, nope. Um, it's awful. So yeah. Also, Samuel Jackson hasn't been in a mustache in a while, and those flashbacks said you get some nice mustachioid Samuel Jackson. And it threw me off for a second. I'm like, you haven't done this since Lakeview Terrace, have you? Yeah. Anywho, uh, next week is Film Explosion 1991. Make sure you send us your list so we can share it on the show. 
Thanks for listening. And we'll also have a, a guest, uh, Zach Bynes from the Talk and Trauma podcast. Yeah. Good old so Zach. it'll be an uh, uh, actual film explosion. Now it puts the list in our epic. email inbox or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.